It's time for the Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doc Program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston, or if you're in the Boston metro area, 100.3 FM, or you can always find old programs on the podcast, johnfpaul.podomatic.com, or just search on any of the podcast sites. You'll usually find it. It'll pop right up. Um, and you can find past shows. Maybe you want to learn something from a previous host, a previous guest, rather. Or a previous host. Maybe we need a new host. Maybe that's what it is. Hey, with us on the phone is Richard Renner. He is from Car ID. And every time we talk to him, we learn something new. Richard, good morning, and welcome back to the Car Doctor program. Hey, John. It's Richard Renner with Car ID. How are you? Yeah, great. Well, before we get started on our topic, let's explain a little bit about what Car ID is. Car ID is an online marketplace for all your automotive needs. Uh, Car ID features everything from repair parts for your just out of warranty car to your old classic. Uh, we've got accessories to uh, dress up the inside of your car, the outside of your car to make your car go faster, make your car stop better. Uh, if you've got a new truck and you want to lift it six inches, we've got the, the goods that can do that for you also. Website's open 24-7. We've got a call center based right here in the U.S. Uh, you can call up and place your order that way. You can sit home in your jammies and place your order, uh, whatever is more, most convenient for you. And the products you sell, um, they're, they're name brand products. It's not like sometimes you see some of these, you know, some of the parts that are for sale and, you know, it looks good, but you, you kind of wonder, you kind of wonder a little bit about the origin. Absolutely, John. Uh, we've got everything from uh, name brands that you're going to recognize in the way of performance parts. Uh, some of these companies have been in this industry uh, for 50 years or more. And let's face it, we've got some customers out there who maybe can't afford the, the top-of-the-line goods and need to watch the budget a little bit, and we've got items that will uh, fill those needs also. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things, sometimes people will get a you know, say a fairly generic car, but they want to personalize it a little bit. You guys have a lot of accessories for that, both interior and exterior styling, that you can you can do some minor changes to a car and, and kind of give it your own personality. Yeah, one of the most fun things about being in this business as well as being in the hobby is just that, John, the ability to customize the car. Lighting's become a huge, huge category for us. Uh, you can do everything from as simple as replace your incandescent bulbs with LED bulbs, to put in a complete, uh, entirely new headlight assemblies that feature uh, HID lighting or LED lighting, uh, these so-called uh, uh, turn signals. The turn signals that are the the flashback that change from white to amber. You see this stuff on new cars, and now you've got a you've got a ten-year-old uh, Toyota, and you want to have the same effect. You can do that also. Well, speaking of 10-year-old Toyotas, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the program was to talk about uh, collectible cars through the years. And it's probably not a 10-year-old Camry. <laughs> no, it's not. But it's funny you say Camry or I say Toyota because I've been in this hobby as long as I've been in the business. 
And one of the recent trends that no one predicted, John, is this turnover or this direction toward uh, collecting Japanese cars. So while, yes, a 10-year-old Camry is not collectible, uh, quite frankly, a first-generation Datsun Z car is, and now early Toyota Supras have become collectible, and you've got your fans of the first-generation Mazda RX-7s. All those cars have their fans. Yeah, and, and those cars, those cars, especially the first generation of, they were all rear-wheel drive cars. So they were, um, in a lot of ways, you know, what I guess people of a certain age consider what a sports car should be. You know, front engine, rear-wheel drive—that's a sports car. And uh, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. I remember when that when that it was not really the first generation, but that the second generation Toyota Super came out had basically its own body style. And we called it a Japanese Mustang, which really was not far from the truth. You had, a, you had a straight six engine, which had pretty decent power output. You had availability of a five-speed transmission. You had disc brakes. And as you point out so, so correctly, you had rear-wheel drive. You had a great handling, uh, great performing car uh, at a price that competed with the Mustang and, quite frankly, proved to be a more reliable uh, vehicle than a lot of the uh, domestic cars. Yeah. Yeah, and the and the the late seventies Silica GT was the silhouette silhouette of a Mustang Mustang fastback. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you look at that. You know, you squinted. You said, "Hey, you know, there's a Mustang," and again, at a price that was comparable with uh, performance that matched. Yeah, and uh, certainly. They sold and sold in good enough numbers to prove they had their fans. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you say, that's one of you know that's one of the things that we look at when we say you know what can what can make a car collectible. And certainly there there are some you know there's levels of collectability. Whether it's you know if you're collecting three million dollar Ferraris or you're just collecting something that uh, that you think has an interest in um, an old. Uh, friend and collector of mine always used to say if you're not sure uh, and the roof goes down chances are it's going to be collectible exactly i'll tell you one of my favorite myths to bust in this hobby and i hear it every week are people who come up to me and say i can't afford to be in the car hobby anymore and the problem is you've got to expand your horizons yeah if you want that that boss mustang 429 or if you want that mercedes going 300 sl no, you can't afford those cars anymore. You missed your buying window, which was about 40 years ago. But if you're open, uh, I, I go to a lot of auctions, uh, John, throughout the Northeast. I'm going to go up to Barrett-Jackson next week up uh, here in your yep. uh, neck of the woods in, uh, in Connecticut. That's coming up this coming weekend. And what we're seeing is this trend toward four-door sedans and station wagons, what the hobbyists call long-roof cars, and they've become collectible, and they're quite affordable. You can buy one of those. You've got a lot of performance. Parts availability is great, and that car has got a lot of credibility at your local Cars and Coffee or your local cruise night. Yeah, I, yeah. you show up with a, uh, with a Vista Cruiser wagon that's in pretty decent shape. All of a sudden, all of a sudden you're a hit. Exactly. It's funny you say that you mentioned that car. I'm talking to a, a buddy. I was on a rally. I was up in New England again. What's with me going up to New England? I did the uh, New England 1000 rally last month. I'm talking to this, this fellow who's driving a, I forgot what it was. It was, a, I think, a Ferrari. And we're chatting. He says, oh, yeah, yeah. He says, I got an old Vista Cruiser at home in the garage. He says, I love those cars. 
Yeah, no, there, there's some there's some interesting cars, on, and, and uh, you know, I, I was uh, at a car show, uh, I don't know, a week or so ago, and there was a, um, you know, there was a car you kind of looked at and said, you know, not that many years ago, people would probably walk right by it, but now, because it's 25 years old, and it's shiny, and it's clean, and obviously the person takes care of it, um, now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden it's a, a collectible car and, you know, and people, people want to talk about it. And that, that's one of the things I always try to tell, um, you know, tell hobbyists and I, and this isn't, this isn't anything I, uh, developed. It was, uh, I think it was, uh, you know, Dave Brunell, rest his soul from Hemmings Motor News who said to me yeah. once, there's no better way to learn about the hobby than go to a car show and talk to the, you know, if you're thinking about buying a, you know, a 55 crown victoria convertible or a 64 and a half mustang or whatever you want to buy um talk to the people that own it and you'll find out where the where they've made the mistakes and hopefully you won't make the same ones that is such great advice i, I learned the hard way uh, from going to car shows and walking around looking at the sheet metal and frankly being bored after a couple of days started chatting with some of these owners car owners love to talk about their car just ask them with a smile on your face, hey, how long have you owned this car? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Or as you said, it's right on, John. I'm interested in buying a similar car. What kind of pitfalls should I be watching out for in my, in my search? Yep. Maybe they have a lead for you. Maybe they belong to a, a local car club or they belong to a club that supports that mark or that model, and they can steer you in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And the other the other thing, you know, there there was a concern, and I guess there still is a concern that you know kids today aren't getting their driver's license. You know, when I got my driver's license, the day that I could actually get my license uh, or my learner's permit, I went down and got it. And the day I could qualify for my driver's license, I went down and got it. Um, a lot of kids today aren't quite going that and you know as quick but on the other hand people were concerned you know maybe the old maybe the old car hobby maybe the collectible car hobby is over because kids kids aren't looking at that but that may be partially true but there's still a lot of kids that love cars aren't there there are a lot of kids that love cars i'm seeing younger generation not in the numbers that uh, was happening 30 years ago but i belong to some clubs that are working on that uh, on incentives to get younger people more involved and what we're seeing, John, it's funny about the hobby because each generation has its fans. So there are, uh, when we say young people, and we're talking about the hobby, we're talking about someone who's got a little bit of discretionary income yep. and can afford maybe a first collector car. But these younger people, I'm talking about people who are currently in their 30s and 40s, they're chasing the cars of their youth. So we were talking a few minutes ago about the Japanese cars. There's other cars that they like. Uh, the Fox Body Mustangs, I never thought would be collectible. I work with a young man who's in his early 30s, and he absolutely loves those cars. Uh, DeLoreans, uh, you've, got, uh, you've got movie cars. The yeah. DeLorean, of course, from the Back to the Future. Uh, even Alfa Romeos uh, from The Graduate. There are people who still remember that car from that movie. So you've got this younger generation. They have their cars. They may not be of such interest to me, but I have to appreciate the fact that uh, the younger generation saw those cars when they were teenagers. Maybe they put pictures up, posters up on their wall, and now that they're a little bit older, you're again, you're spot on. They're chasing those cars. Yeah, you know, the, the poster I had was a BMW M1. I don't think I'm ever going to chase that and chase it down <laughs> and buy it, but... 
I had a 69 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am, and uh, oh, I still love that car. Yeah. Um, no, and, and uh, you know, a, a guy I met a few years ago, he um, – he had a uh, he had a, a, a Pontiac Firebird, and he actually uh, he ha- he had it in high school, I guess. He actually found it, uh, restored it, and now it's uh, it's a pretty cool collector car. Just you know, just because it's so much so much work has been done to it. So people are you know whether it's people that are recapturing their youth, people that are um, buying things, and and the other thing that we see with some with uh, some people is all of a sudden how trucks have exploded in collectability, and people are buying people are buying trucks. They're customizing them. They're doing a lot of things to them to make them you know make them personalized, but also make them pretty pretty unique and and collectible in their own way. Absolutely. Again, I go to a lot of auctions uh, down here in, in Pennsylvania and so forth, and pickup trucks, I, I am flabbergasted at, at the rise in popularity of these pickup trucks. And, yes, you see them uh, tricked out, especially some of the, the newer ones, maybe less than 25 years old. A big eye-opener for me watching these collectible pickup trucks is that it's not the crew cab ones, it's not the long bed ones uh, that people are looking for, but what we would call a work truck, a regular cab, short bed, two-wheel drive truck that's in essentially stock condition, those things, the values are, they're right up there with uh, with muscle cars from the 70s and 80s. Yeah, they really are. And speaking, speaking of muscle cars, you can never go wrong buying the one with the biggest engine, right? You can never go wrong. Uh, horsepower will uh, always uh, pave your way toward... Uh, uh, a lot of fun in the in the collector car hobby, and again, let's not neglect uh, some of these cars that uh, really are past their prime, if I can say it that way, because you go back to the muscle car era, and you look at a, at a Roadrunner Hemi, or you look at a uh, a big block Corvette, and yeah, John, for a lot of us, uh, the affordability of those cars is uh, is not there, but again, Fox body Mustangs, um, there's a lot of GM cars, Buick Grand Nationals. Uh, come to mind. Uh, you look at anything that's still V8-powered, rear-wheel drive, and you've got yourself a pretty nice collector car. Yeah, I yeah I uh, within the last couple of weeks I saw a you know well put together Impala SS, and you're like you know they they were not the prettiest car when they came out, but they tried to make something special out of it in the late model you know kind of uh, whale-shaped ones, and then I saw a Mercury Murata. Which you know you had to stop and think about it for a minute, but it was essentially a uh, a Crown Victoria police package that Mercury had, and they did the interior up nice and put big exhaust on it, and all of a sudden now it's a very affordable, unique car that you're not going to see one every day. You know those those are dynamite. You're right. So let's not forget those. The trick is, and you can't you can't second guess the market, and nobody seems to be able to predict what's going to become valuable in the future. So my buddies and I, we, we operate under these rules. Buy what you love. All right, don't try to second-guess the market. Yep. Uh, if you can afford to be in the market, buy what you love. And we've already talked about the reasons why. You're going to pay more attention to the car. You're going to treat it right. If you're buying a vehicle just because you think you're going to flip it, I think you're better off buying pork belly futures. All right? So, so buy what you love. Drive the car. Take it out. Enjoy it. Learn as much as you can about it. When it's time to sell, if you make money on it, great. If you don't make money on it, that's okay. Look at all the education you got. 
by by uh, owning it during that period of time, and then be ready to enter the hobby with uh, maybe something else. Yeah, I, I I don't have the phrase down, but what what was it? E.F. Hutton past performance is not an indicator of uh, future growth or something like that. It's exactly yeah. right. And yeah. uh, again, I've seen so many people, and there's no guarantees. I, I go to auctions where I see a car that sold the previous year. The owner's taking a twenty percent cut when he needs to to unload it. Um, so, again, trying to second-guess it, buying the Impala SS because you're convinced it's going to be worth 20% more three years from now, maybe you're right, maybe you're not. But if you always wanted one and you find the right car at the right price, buy the car, enjoy it. Don't worry about what other people think. I've never operated under, under that mode. i got an Italian car in the garage right now, and all my friends drive Chevys, and they laugh at me, but you know what? It's all right. I like my car. What kind of what, what kind of Italian car is it? I got a 1967 Alfa Romeo GT1300 Jr. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Not a lot of horsepower, but as one yeah. buddy says to me, horsepower is overrated sometimes. But with 100 horsepower and some really sublime handling, that the car goes down pretty well down the road. Well, as as you know, somebody smarter than me said, it's a lot more fun to drive a slow car fast than a fast car slow. That is very true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're, we're talking with Richard Rainey from Car ID. CarID.com is where you can find all your auto parts and, and uh, accessories and all that, all that kind of stuff. Before we, before we let you go, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned auctions. The Barrett-Jackson auction is coming up at, uh, at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. I know a lot, of people, a lot of people go to that. There are, you know, some people say, well, you know, are there really values there? there you know, some people have walked away with some really good deals, especially if you're not looking at, you know, true high-end collector cars, but you're sort of looking at the, the Friday cars, I guess is a way to, way to describe it. And, uh, and it's always a lot of fun. I know uh, I was talking to Wayne Carini a couple weeks ago. I think he's actually giving a class while he's down there this, uh, during, the, during the auction, so. Uh, I had not heard that, and actually, we're going to go on Thursday, John, so the auction starts on Thursday. Yep. My buddy and I are, uh, we're not buying this time, but we're going to look and just try to get the, take the temperature of the market. Yep. But to your point, uh, you can get some pretty good deals at auctions. I would highly recommend going with somebody else for several reasons. A second set of eyes is always helpful, and should you fall in love, uh, having someone there who's got a little bit more of an objective point of view can also uh, yeah, can to keep, to you keep your hand to, to keep your hand down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As my wife says to me, please keep your hands in your pockets. Um, but it, it can be a great education to go to an auction and just watch. Yep. Yeah, you see it on TV, but there's something about going there in person. Uh, I would highly recommend going several times before you're ready to bid. Just to learn the ropes yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny on the very high end stuff. Um, a few years ago, maybe more than a few now, five, five or six years ago, I had Craig Jackson on the show, and I said to him, "Is it my imagination, or do the prices go up when the cameras come on?" And he said, "He said, why do you think we televise this?" He said, "When at the real high end stuff, he said, he said, I got to tell you, it's rich people showing off for their rich friends." Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I met somebody. I knew someone who, uh, uh, back in my days working for uh, uh, corporate, uh, uh, when I worked for one of the automobile manufacturers on the corporate end, met uh, a dealer owner who used to fly out to Barrett-Jackson, and he admitted to me. He said, this is all about me being on TV and watching my buddies buy me, uh, watch, yeah. 
Having them watch me buy a car. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely amazing. Well, I want to, uh, you know, my my uh, past boss went to went to an auction with no intention of buying any, and he came home with two cars. So, you know, whatever happens, whatever happens at the auction stays at the auction. But you know, your wife still may be surprised if you bring something home. Yeah, you never know with me. So uh, that's why I'm going with a friend. There you go, Richard. Thanks for taking some time out of your Saturday morning to join us up here in Boston. Maybe we'll see you at Barrett Jacks. John, pleasure to talk to you as always. Have a great All right, take care. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. You too. That was Richard Rayner from Car ID. Car ID, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff on their site. Um, check it out. You know, you might find things that you can't find anyplace else on Car ID. There's a there's a lot of different uh, auto parts websites. And Richard mentioned um, uh, the idea of uh, LED lights. And I got an email from uh, from somebody who said they went to go get their car inspected and they were told they were able to have the LED lights in their car last year, but they weren't going to be able to have them in their car this year because because they're not legal. And it just so happened that I was talking with uh, somebody from the Registry of Motor Vehicles and I asked that very question. Let's see. Here we go. Here's the note. Uh, I have a 2014 Mazda 2, and last year I purchased new LEDs with the intention of replacing all of my exterior lights, with the exception of the headlights with LEDs. My installer told me not to do it because the new mass inspection system program would reject any vehicle that had lights that were not originally of the type that came with the vehicle uh, factory vehicle installed. When I went for my 2018 sticker last week, I asked the guy doing it the inspection, and he confirmed it. What do you think? Well, Bill, whose email is mackerel hunter, by the way. Yeah, so big fisherman, Bill. Um, I I I was I was at a meeting for the new for the state inspection program. They meet about every three months, and uh, I went up to the guy from the registry of motor vehicles and said, "I have a question." And I and I handed him the email, and he said, "That's not true. If the if the lights are DOT approved, so they have to be Department of Transportation approved. You can put LED, you can replace any bulb except a headlight with LED bulbs. Um, so he said it's not a problem. He said, but there's so many that are designed for off-road use, novelty purposes. They may change color. Those would be illegal. But if they're LEDs and you're replacing a white regular bulb with a white LED and they're DOT approved, you can use them. How can you find out if they're DOT approved? Says it on the package. And that's 100% believable just because the package Truth in it? advertising. So if... Could could someone stamp them LED DOT approved? Yeah, it could, yeah. But what's a consumer to do? And the point the point is... There's no specific law that says the bulb that comes out has to be the bulb that goes in. And that's no different than if you have a car that had regular old-fashioned headlight bulbs in and you decided to put halogen bulbs in because your car was old enough it never had halogens. It's a different style bulb. It's a better bulb. It's a, it, you, see, you get more light on the road, and it's what everybody uses now. So there's no – and the same thing, LED bulbs are used in – I'm looking out in the parking lot. There's a – Escalade out there, all the all the bulbs in the back of that car are LEDs. So if they're legal in that, they're legal in everything else. They just have to be 
certified that they're DOT approved. And for the inspection garage, if you roll into your inspection garage and you have LEDs in it, they should look at it and just make sure they work. And if there is any question, if for some reason they do ask, and one of the reasons is the new inspection program has cameras everywhere. So potentially if someone said something, oh, you, you inspected a car with you know, the right, wrong lights in it, they can actually look at the video and see if you did. So everybody's a little bit nervous about that. Um, but no, according to the Registry of Motor Vehicles, LEDs perfectly legal. You just have to make sure they're the right ones. So speaking of the LEDs that are in the back of vehicles, mm -hmm. I can't stand them because when they turn the brake lights on and they got those little dots, and you're, when you blink, those dots are burnt into your eyes for like the next 10 minutes. Fine. <laughs> um, and then last week I answered a question on, uh, must have been in the Boston Globe, and it says, I believe your advice on the Massachusetts inspection question was partially an error, says uh, David. He says, while Massachusetts can require an owner not to obscure the word Massachusetts on the license plate, this had to do with uh, somebody went in to get an inspection sticker and the inspection garage said you can't have that Celtics license plate frame because it blocks um, the logo of the plate. Um, under the Supreme Court decision, Woolley versus Maynard in 1977, it cannot enforce anyone to display a state motto under the First Amendment of the Constitution, the court held. We are thus faced with the question of whether the state may constitutionally require an individual to participate in the dissemination of an ideological message by displaying on, a, on his private property in a manner to express the purpose that is observed and read by the public. We hold that the state may not do so. That's a lot of words. That's a lot of words. That's a, those are lawyer words. Um, so I went up to the same guy who I asked about the LEDs. I had three I had three emails for him. So um, I went up to him and I said, so what about this? And he goes, yeah, it's kind of true. He said, um, but then he cited, you know, Mass General Law 90 and then Mass General Law 650-1- something or other. And he said... Um, you know, someday it will become a little bit clearer, but he said there's a difference between a, a, a law and a regulation. And the regulation says you can't cover any part of the plate that's got words on it. The law kind of goes back to 1977 that says, yeah, you don't have to display the state motto, but the regulation says you got to have it all so it's visible. So he said, yeah. Push comes to shove. If somebody wanted to go to court and cite Maynard versus Woolley, 430 U.S. 705 something something, they'd probably win, maybe. And let's see, what was the last? I had one more. Uh, the other one, uh, the other one had to do with um, with uh, anti-lock brakes. And the person who owned the car said. Wasn't this in one of your articles? Yeah. Yeah, the person who owned the car. See, I read. <laughs> better, than, better than me right now. So let's see, where, where was this? The person who owned the car said, I just read your article about repairing anti-lock braking systems in a car, not being an inspection failure. I brought my O2 BMW 325Ci convertible in last September with a three-light trifecta, including ABS, uh, 
uh, module, $1,000 part. The inspector indicated that I got a pass last year, but this year it would fail with the new regulations. He also indicated one of my aftermarket halos, so light around the right, light around the light, sometimes called angel eyes, um, was out, and that would be a fail. He interpreted the new regulation. If it was installed on the car, it would need to work, period. Your thoughts, Jeff? Asked, same guy, walked back in, said, hey, I got one more for you. And he said, nope, ABS. If the ABS is lights on, just like before, nothing changes. It's still, it's still a pass. It's not a problem. And he said, yeah, I heard that rumor going around too, but it's not true. He said, we haven't changed that regulation. So if the ABS light is on, it's still a pass. For now. I don't think they'll change that. Really? Because it, it's there, the, current, issue? the current thinking is that the brakes are going to work as good as they ever did just without ABS brakes. And your car your car can stop as well, if not better, without ABS because ABS works well because it's smarter than you. It doesn't panic. It pumps the brakes. It allows you to steer. You can do the same thing if you're a good driver. If you're not a good driver, well, then you're going to slide into the car in front of you. But your brakes, performance of the brakes from 0 to 60 aren't really going to change. So that's the reason behind it. The one new regulation that is coming out dun, dun, dun. is to do with airbags. On a 10-year-old car, 10-year and older car, if the airbag light is on, previously it was a fail. Come in, come in the airbag light's on, they're like, sorry, you got to, it's a fail, you got to get it fixed. They're saying now, 10-year-old car and older, airbag lights on, it's a pass. Not sure why, but that's what they said. So that's the story I hear. But now, see, that's 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 concerning to me because I thought the whole point of the state inspection was to make sure that the car is safe and um, performs soundly. Is that the right terminology? Yeah. Yeah. And by not uh, by these by not by the uh, I can't speak all of a sudden no. by not ha- just have a stroke yeah <laughs> by not <laughs> mandating that the um, airbags have to be functioning as they normally are even for ten plus year old cars I also don't get why after ten years um, the exhaust doesn't have to be inspected and also. With the ABS, all these things are for safety and or the car running I think it has to do with economics. I think it has to do with, you know, to repair an airbag system in a car, depending on what's wrong, could be a couple thousand dollars. And I think they don't want to put that burden on. Now, certainly the smart thought is if your airbag light is on, go get it fixed. You know, it could be be something like there's a – the most common part is something called a clock clock spring, which is basically a a wire that runs from – um, the airbag control up the steering column. It's part of the horn, so when you turn the wheel, your horn still works. Airbag, it's also the part that fires off the airbag. And it's um, that can break, and it could be, you know, four or $500 or more to fix it. Go get it fixed. On the other hand, you know, if, you, if it's an economic hardship for you to go spend $1,000 to fix the airbag, well, if the airbag light's on, the system's not going to work, and wear your seatbelt. 
So I think that I think the state is trying to use a little bit of common sense, just like emissions waivers on 15 year old cars where you don't have to get the emissions tested. Um, you can't come in with the check engine light on. If check engine lights on. They still say, no, you got to go get it fixed. But if it comes in and the emissions levels are high, then they're not going to know because they're just saying, well, it's it's, uh, you know, it's you don't have to worry about it. So. Um, and the reason is, I think it has all to do with economic. They they don't want to. The Commonwealth doesn't want to put economic hardships on people with fifteen and twenty year old cars. I think. Okay. You know the the repair community would actually rather rather see everybody fixing this sort of stuff. So. Um, yeah, that's good money. Yeah, yeah, because it was actually it was actually on the agenda. It says software now enforces a ten year exemption for airbags. Um, they they had a lot of software changes with the new inspection system, so but things seem to be working okay. And of course, there's always a lot of questions. Why don't we take a break, pay some bills, and when we come back, we're going to put a trivia question out there because Dennis loves trivia, and then uh, also talk about the Jeep Wrangler. We'll be right back. This is the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WRL and 100.3 FM. I used to know all the songs because I used to have to pick them, but now there's just one button that I push. Just one button, huh? One button. It picks it. It's like a shuffle mode. I really? don't know what it's going to do. Really? How about that? Okay. And I, I will, and I will readily admit, I stole the essence of this question from Craig Fitzgerald and Best Ride. The essence of this question. He did a he did a column about dad's cars for Father's Day. Everyone knows who's of a certain age that private detective Jim Rockford drove a Pontiac Firebird in the Rockford Files. But what did his dad, Rocky, drive? And if, if I need, I, I, I'll, I'll wave the year, but you got to tell me make and model. So everybody knows Jim Rockford drove a Pontiac Firebird in the Rockford Files, but what did Rocky drive? So, what was the what was the make? What was the model? And if you know the answer, give us a call at 617-770-3030-617-770-3030. I was I was because because of our limited cable TV down the Cape, our six stations we get. I was watching something. I actually saw the first episode of the Rockford Files. It didn't have Noah Berry in it as his father. I guess he didn't. The whoever the guy was didn't didn't pan out well. So they got rid of him in the second episode. Anyway, well, Dennis is uh, Dennis is dealing with all this, um, and uh, we'll give away another phone mount, maybe. 
So let's talk about the car that got me here today. If you have an answer to the trivia question, and again, the question is, Everyone knows Jim Rockford drove a Pontiac Firebird in the Rockford Files, but what did Rocky drive? I need the I need the make and model. So we have a couple lines open if you would like to try and guess. Um, but right now, before we answer the phones, I want to talk about the car that got me here, which was a 2018 Jeep Wrangler. It comes in, like a lot of Wranglers, two- and four-door configurations with soft and hardtop versions. The Wrangler is offered in Sport, Sahara, and Rubicon trim levels. Uh, the standard engine is a 3.6-liter V6 that can be paired to either a 6-speed manual or 8-speed automatic transmission. An optional 2-liter turbocharged four-cylinder hybrid is paired up with an 8-speed automatic transmission. It saves fuel and offers instant torque at startup. I I haven't driven one extensively, but I drove one. Uh, Jeep was out and did a little... Uh, did a little uh, road test uh, with the New England Motor Press Association, and I was like, "Oh, it's four cylinder." It's and, and the torque from the electric motor was uh, instantaneous, and it was pretty interesting. And it looks like it would be if you're somebody who goes off road. Looks like it'd be uh, really good for that type of stuff. Um, it's still one of the most capable off road vehicles on the market today. And our test drive was in the Sahara Unlimited. This is there are basically two different driveline packages. Those buyers looking for ultimate off road capability want to go with Rubicon, uh, which have super heavy duty axles, extra low gearing. Front and rear locking differentials. This combination makes the Wrangler nearly unstoppable. Our Sahara has a decidedly upscale look and feel. Pleasant interior controls have large buttons and knobs for easy use. The interior has seen an upgrade over the year, replacing hard plastic surfaces with more contemporary functional materials. Some other optional highlights include automatic temperature control. Who would have thought automatic temperature control in a Jeep? Um, heated premium leather seats, power mirrors, uh, Steering wheel controls for all the vehicle systems. There's 12-volt accessory outlets and USB ports, and even 115 outlet is available to power small home electronics. Jeep owners like to remove the vehicle doors in warm weather and make it easier to make it easier and more convenient. Our test model even had a little tool kit, a little ratchet and torque spits, to, so you can do that. Uh, the rear seating area in our four-door model was fairly roomy for two adults. It has seat belts for three. Uh, it's going to be cozy back there. Uh, the cargo area wasn't bad with 31 cubic feet of room behind the rear seat. Uh, fold down the second row uh, grows much more. Safety is addressed with all kinds of stuff, electronic stability control, um, roll stability control, anti-lock brakes, traction control, uh, both driver and passenger airbags, all the normal stuff. On the road, this Jeep shows a bit of its age. The handling is not bad, but certainly not as precise as some other off-road vehicles. The cabin's quieter than older model Jeeps, but after a full day of driving, you know you're in a Jeep. Uh, solid uh, feeling suspension is comfortable enough, even over pothole-filled roads. It was uh, once a time when the Jeep Wrangler may not have been a great choice for an everyday vehicle, but this latest Wrangler is a vehicle you could drive every day. That being said, any less than stellar handling is an easy trade-off for how well the Wrangler handles winter roads or the road less traveled. Performance from the V6 engine is quite good. Um, it's uh, it's a really peppy engine. Zero to 60, I would guess, seven and a half seconds. The downside of this capability comes with a trade-off in fuel economy. The EPA rates the fuel economy at 16 city, 23 highway. During my time with the Jeep, I averaged about 21 miles per gallon. Um, previous versions that had the six-speed automatic transmission, the fuel economy is actually a couple miles per gallon less, so the new transmission bumped the fuel economy. Bottom line, the Jeep Wrangler is a truly unique vehicle and one that's the spiritual successor of the original Jeep. It reminds you of that every time you start it. It says since 
1941 or something, as soon as you start the car. Um, with its potent V6 engine, legendary off-road ability, classic style, and modern features, the Jeep is still a winner today. So nobody knows the answer. We had Peter on the phone. And he hung up. I saw that. So just for the record, yeah, it's not that I don't like trivia. I don't like usually when you do it. Today was a good day, time that you did it, but okay. then you went on this rant about the Wrangler instead of going and, to and people get, and people get bored. <laughs> okay, we'll give out the trivia question again. Oi. And I'll step up the price. And the rules are there's almost no rules. But the rules are if you've won in the last month or so, let someone else win. How's that? Fair enough. So if you've won in the last month or so, let someone else win. And the prize will be the uh, the uh, all-purpose phone grip. Um, we still have a couple of those left to give away. And I might throw in a collectible book. The books actually, I, uh, I got some pretty good books lately. We'll talk about those later. But everyone knows that Jim Rockford drove a Pontiac Firebird in the Rockford Files. But what did his dad, Rocky, drive? And I'm looking for make and model. So I'll give you a hint. You'll lose if you just say pickup truck. It was a pickup truck, but you lose if you just say pickup truck. I got a uh, page from, where was this? New York Post from one of our one of our listeners. And it says, uh, hello, John. Uh, Ford tough the tragic end of the era for American cars. Ford has announced it's going to stop selling sedans. Um, it'll continue to sell SUVs. And, uh, you know, a company that started with Model Ts all of a sudden decides they're not going to do it. Um, I'm just going to read the last paragraph here. If that's where we are, economic decline, there's no longer a market for our kids. Even there's no market for the Fusions and the Tauruses. The jobs aren't there for them. And the student loan burden makes it uh, debt slaves to them. And we're watching uh, bring back the Fords and Ann's. I think it's just a big mistake. That's all I have to say. All right, let's see how smart Peter is. Now, Peter knows a lot. Peter's my go-to guy. I should have him do trivia. Go ahead, Peter. <laughs> Hey, John, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Um, it was a uh, Chevy pickup truck. It would. You would be wrong. Really? Yeah. Uh, You'd okay. be wrong. All right. But uh, but good. But good guess though. So is uh, is the uh, is the Edsel going to go down to uh, to uh, Dedham uh, for the? Oh, oh, absolutely, John. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll be there. Uh, hopefully. I'll be able to get a, uh, uh, mine's a 59, I'm hoping a 58 and a 60, so we'll have all three years there. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 but it's the, one of our uh, chapter meets, so, well, yeah. But so, Bates State does a good job, and up in your neck of woods, do you ever get up to the Misslewood Concours? Oh, yeah, yeah, every year, every yeah, year. Yeah, what's, what's that like? I've, I've never been to that. It's phenomenal. It's uh, right at, right at Endicott College at the Misslewood Estate, right on the water. Um, incredible cars they in, invite. It's kind of a, a spinoff from the old Cranes Estate. Oh yeah, show yep. right When they had it up there. Yeah. And uh, Bob DeSantis uh, is a friend who's uh, coordinates the show and is also a judge. 
Uh, they bring in, you know, the the primo cars from all over. Yep. And uh, then they have a, a parking spot for uh, cars like mine, you know. Um, and uh, and then uh, I think it's twenty five dollars to get in. Yep. Money well spent. Beautiful place. And the money and money goes to Endicott College, I guess, too. Correct. So do their their, their yeah. scholarship thing. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well worth coming up because um, that that coast along one twenty seven is just beautiful. Yeah. No, I I know I know. Uh, um, I was up to the the one they had at the Crane Estate. Somebody I knew was uh, doing some of the work up there, and you know it was it, you know it it could have been Pebble Beach. I think it was oh. the, the beautiful view, the the beautiful green. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I guess I guess the local neighbors didn't like it. Yeah, I, I I've heard all kinds of things on that, you yeah. know, and then they and then they kind of got into the wedding business up right. there, and um, they restored all the outbuildings and the pool and everything. So, yeah, it, it was great. And then they'd let uh, all the regular cars, the antiques, go yep. on the Grand Alley, so you had a show and a show. Yeah, was- no, no, and uh, and who would have who would who would have thought that uh, you know the end of the uh, the Crane Estate, you know, guy who made toilets, who would have ever thought? Yeah. Jeez, yeah. geez, right, right. <laughs> well, Buick, Buick. Uh, yeah, they they were in the toilet business too. Right. Or the, he, or the he porcelain business, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No. Oh, the, well. the the uh, and and uh, before I let you go, the one thing I was uh, uh, I guess I was a little bit amazed when I saw the Crane Estate was um, there was a there was a, a husband and wife husband and wife had separate bathrooms off the master bedroom. Wow. Yeah, so which I thought was kind of funny, but anyway, Think, things never change, John, no matter what 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 income uh, level you're, you're at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, thanks Peter. Thanks, John. All right, bye. take care. Bye-bye. All right, let's go. Let's try Rich and Newton. Rich, is that you? Hey, John, how are you? Good. How are you? Well, I'm going to talk to. I know. But that's but, but that's on my part, not you. I'm going to say GMC Sierra pickup. You would be right. You would be right. It was a 1973 GMC K1500 Sierra Grand, if you actually want all the details. Okay. Well, I know yeah. it was a Sierra. I knew yeah. that much. Yeah. So, uh, so it had, so it was, uh, it, yeah. And that was, uh, that was, that was the truck that, uh, that, uh, Jim Rockford used to have to borrow an awful lot when his car got shot up or smashed up or whatever. That's right. So how you been? I've been okay. How about you? Not too bad. Uh, you talked to Junior lately? I uh, haven't talked to him in a couple of weeks, but yes, yes, I have. Uh, uh, so, what have you been doing? What have you been doing these days? Not much. Just you know, we're just still working and listening to you on Saturday. There, there you go. There you that's go. Let's see. I haven't called in a while, so yeah. again, that, that's on me. Yeah. All right. Well, stay right there, Dennis. We'll get down, get down your mail and address, and we'll we'll send you some phenomenal prize. Okay. Sure, John. Thanks, buddy. All thank right. You. Thank you. All right. Dennis can take care of that and. Uh, do we want to take Rick while you're taking care of that? Rick or Gary? Oh, okay. Well, let's take let's take Gary then. I think Gary was first. He All was. Right. All right. All right. Gary. Gary. Yeah, how you doing? Good. How are you? Hello. Yeah, you you still there? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to guess on the uh, trivia, but that, that's okay. Okay. Um, but I had a comment. I was wondering if you you were talking about the Vista Cruises earlier. Yeah. Do you remember when the uh, Brockton police were running those? Yeah. Back, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny because I think they had different, uh, they came in different colors and stuff. Yeah, I, I felt bad for the first time they put a they put a German Shepherd in the back of one and they went, oh, 
Yeah. yeah, that wasn't such a good idea. The dog slid all around the back of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I just happened to remember those riding around Brockton back in the Yeah, no, no, the- they had they had the, the Vista Cruiser the Vista Cruiser with the with the uh you know the little windows on the roof. It was a it was a pretty interesting car, and you know, and even the station wagons, you know, of that era, um, you know, they whether it was the dual open tailgate that you see in, you know, the uh, you know the the Honda pickup truck now, which you know Ford had and GM had, or my favorite and probably the most impractical tailgate ever was on the Chevy wagon that had the clamshell tailgate where the gate went down into the bottom and the and the and the window went up to the roof it was yeah, during the winter if something happened oh, oh it was it was or, or somebody banged the back of it you know that thing would never fit right but it was it was a pretty novel thing you turned the key and the window would go up and the gate would the gate would roll down into the bottom and the problem is a lot of people with a lot of people with uh, station wagons use the tailgates for carrying extra, you know, they fold the tailgate down so you could hang extra stuff off the back or sit back there or do something. And, uh, a- a- again, it was a, a real novel kind of interesting thing. that You would think somebody customized it, but, nope, it was uh, it was uh, Chevy Chevy in their Kingswood edition or Kingswood or whatever they called it uh, had that tailgate, and it was just kind of an oddball. Well, oh, didn't um, – there was an old steel on Warren Ave. Didn't the Brockton get them right from – to that dealer? Yeah, or? I think I think so. I think I think so. I think it was. Uh, uh, yeah, that was a, that was that little. Uh, I don't know if that was Van Dam Oldsmobile. I don't know. But yeah. I'm, 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 I'm stretching my I'm stretching my memory. Well, Paul Clack started out across the street from them on Warren Ave. Yeah. Ave. They yeah. just had a small building because they had that dinosaur up on the roof back then. I remember when I was a kid. And now, and now, now at the Volkswagen dealership, they put a fox up on the roof. So who knows? Oh, because they had the other one down on. South yeah, Maine. yeah. Hey, no. While I get on the phone, could I could I give a quick plug to the uh, registry? Absolutely. I, I went over to the Brockton registry yesterday to remove new my license, and I had I had all the paperwork I need and the form filled out and stuff. A little less than an hour in and out. Well, that wasn't bad at all because even at the AAA offices, we're seeing some. We're seeing some long lines because they have to scan in all your paperwork, which takes time. And so yeah. we're yeah, actually going to. I don't know whether it's just because of the day or the weekend. Or yeah, it could have It could have been. Um, I know in some of our offices, good. I heard now in some of our offices, we're going to put two sets of terminals in um, to try to get people through a little bit faster. So. Yeah, because I was kind of pleasantly surprised. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> hey, Gary, always <laughs> nice to hear from you. Yeah, you have a good weekend. You as well. And happy Father's Day. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Let's go to our buddy Rick. Rick. Hey there. Hey there. Are you you in New Hampshire? No, I'm not in New Hampshire, Annette. I got other other things going on. I've just been running errands with my grandkids at the moment. Aren't you you supposed to be up, uh, up in Laconia, you know? That would be nice, but I got other things that are going on. All right. Family's important. Yeah, uh, what I got a question for you, and that is, um, my daughter uh, recently needed to drive down to Pennsylvania. Yep, you know, six-hour trip. Yep. Now, which would have been safer for her to do? Because she uh, at the uh, either to drive right after work, or to come home, you rest for a few hours, you'll take a nap or whatever, and then drive down, you know, in the middle of the night. 
What do the statistics here's, here's, say? Here's the kind of contemporary thought on this. You should never actually attempt to drive during the time you normally go to sleep. So if you're somebody who goes to bed at 10.30 or 11, um, that isn't the time you want to be on the road because your body says, you know, for the past, you know, 50 weeks, I've gone to bed at 10 o'clock. So I don't want to be behind the wheel. Taking a, taking a nap for a couple of hours actually still puts you into sort of REM sleep. It puts you into deep sleep, which isn't good for you either. Um, you're better off if you are going to try to push yourself no more than a 30-minute nap. So here's kind of what you, if, if you are going to drive, sort of here's what you should try to do. Um, have something with some caffeine in it. Try to get a 20-minute to 30-minute nap, no more than that, because you don't want to go into a deep sleep. Wake up, do a little bit of exercise, jumping jacks, walk around, do some, get some fresh air in you. And that will, that will t- typically energize you for a few hours. But you're much better off trying to drive after you're fully rested and, you know, and take a break every couple hours, stretch, breathe, you know, have something to eat, whatever the case is. But trying to do that six-hour drive after a full day at work is not a great idea. Trying to do that six-hour drive after a couple hours of deep sleep and then doing it, you know, from 9 o'clock at night till 2 o'clock in the morning is not such a great idea either. You kind of, kind of between a rock and a hard yeah. place. Yeah, yeah. You better off. You better off wait until the next morning and driving that. You know, get a good yeah, get a good night's sleep and do it. Thing, but but, yeah. but if you have, yeah, if you have the choice, rest a little bit, not for a couple hours, but just rest a little bit, yep. and that will give you, that will kind of that will kind of rejuvenate your body a little bit more. It's the deep sleep that's the problem. Once you hit that deep sleep cycle. Then your body's going to be groggy for a while. Your reactions are going to be all off, um, and a little and a little bit of caffeine, you know, whether it's uh, you know coffee or Coca Cola, whatever the case is, um, is going to help going to ke- help keep your energy level up. So it's sleep, exercise, and caffeine that really is what keeps you going. But the most important part, you know, talk to you know anybody who's ever driven a truck. There's no substitute for sleep, and so you got to oh, yeah. you got to get it. So yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Dan. All right. Thanks, Rick. Yep. yep. Right. Six one seven. That, that was almost a non-answer for me. I talked yeah, a you lot. Danced around that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the best thing to do is go to bed early, get a good night's sleep, and wake up rested, and then get in the car and drive wherever you have to go. That's the best thing. Besides, I don't like driving at two in the morning. There's a lot of people at two in the morning that are dangerous. Uh, let's talk to John in Norwood. John. Hello, Hello, John. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, John. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Um, my girlfriend's Honda Civic uh, 2013 mm-hmm. is given a, a maintenance minder, says transmission fluid, which I guess means drain it. Yep. Um, so when I drain it, is it going to drain all two and a half quarts out, or is it going to be a partial um, drain? Yeah, yeah you're not going to get a whole lot. Um, cause it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, uh, even though that transmission holds probably, you know, you know, 
eight quarts of fluid or something. It's, it's not going to, it's not going to be much. And, and I'm, you know, that's one of those things. What, what just, what kind of, what kind of, um, Honda is it? Civic 2013. 2013. Let's see what, let's see what, um, all data is pretty good because what it does is it does a, uh, like a comparison of things that match up with the, with the, um, with the ace with the uh, maintenance minder thing because the maintenance minder thing has different for people that don't know it has different letters that say you do this and you do that and you know that's so, sort of how sort of how it works and and it, it doesn't necessarily you know it's not necessarily based on one particular thing or, or another it just kind of comes up with it um, the other the other thing is um, one of one of the things I really think you, think you should do is uh, make sure you use only Honda fluid. Yeah, I was going to ask about that yeah. because it seems very hard to come by Honda fluid at any of the parts stores yeah. or Walmart, whatever. Yeah. And the dealership. and it does have you know there is there are alternatives, but there is a um, there there is. A difference in the way I've seen people use um, non-Honda fluid, and it does affect the shift quality. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So I would I would only want to use only want to use Honda fluid, and and then you know once you're once you're done, you know then you're done. And reset the maintenance minder, and and you're you should be good. You should be good to go. Um, the so the car's at about like sixty-seven thousand miles. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me it sounds early for that, but um, and it, yeah, and so you're going to have to buy three quarts of fluid. The stuff's expensive, but you know it's it's what I I would I would in in this case I would use I, like I said I would use only Honda fluid because I have seen I have seen shift quality change based on not using the factory fluids. So um, the other thing I want to look and see if there's, you know, if it was something, uh, transmission fluid. You, you said it's got, what, about 60,000 on it now? Yeah, 66, 67, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, for for whatever reason, um, yeah, they there's... Uh, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't actually even seem to even seem to pop up in a in in a regular maintenance record unless it's supplemental somehow. But um, but yeah, it's uh, you know if it came up and that's what the indicator is, you know that's what the that's what the indicator is. So it's um, you know some it's so something. The, specific, the specifications say two and a half quarts. Yep. Um, but you said there's actually like eight quarts in there. So well, there's all oh, this. Uh, the transmission's got a lot of you know. The torque converter takes a ton of fluid. So you're basically but, just getting out some. Yeah, you're only getting out a little bit. Yeah, you're only getting out. You know, only you're not getting that much out of it to start off with. So yeah, the it, it's funny in my database that I look things up. All it really says about transmission fluid is check the fluid level monthly. I don't. I don't even see a regular. You know, regular interval to change it. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Okay. Appreciate that. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little bit more. I'm gonna do a little bit more research here to see if see if I'm missing something here. But even in the supplemental things, for instance, um, 
you know, brake fluid, you know, uh, Honda says brake fluid should be changed every three years. Not every manufacturer does that. Um, so they have their, they have their own little things they should do. Um, but, but pretty much under transmission fluid, all it says is check it every month. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, John. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030. This email comes by way of Bill Griffith, the auto writer at the Boston Globe and writes for an old car paper as well. And our old editor, which he's referring to as Miss Vicky, said... Uh, How's he, this request from help is from uh, the editor who got our pros in shape for the Boston Globe auto section. Um, and what happened was she wrote to him and said, uh, I'm writing with a question. My sister and I were shopping for cars this past few weeks, and our first foray was into a Honda dealer in Norwood. After sampling some vehicles, she found a 2015 Acura TLX with the tech package, she really liked it over the course of the week. She tried negotiating uh, a price break and extended warranty delivery. She lives in Lenox. After a lot of hemming and hawing went on, she finally accepted the full price and was basically down to the delivery. But when she wasn't getting answers and was getting more delays, she told the salesman she wanted her refund of $500 deposit and that the deal was off. I've spoken to a few people, including a former salesman there, who said it can be very difficult to get a refund back. She was already stressed about the whole exchange. I'm trying privately to put some pressure on them to give her the refund in a timely manner without alerting her to the danger. The former salesman suggested a call or email the general manager. Um, and her question is, you know, what what can happen? She ended up buying a... Acura TLX from um, uh, a different dealership. She liked it. It was a better sales experience. She liked everything about it better and ended up buying that. The problem is you entered into a contract. So you go to the dealership and you say, I want to buy that car. And they go, okay, we want to sell you that car. And unless the financing falls through, or the car is misrepresented in some way or form, you entered into a sales contract. And, a, you know, a dealership in a lot of cases will say, fine, you don't want the car, you don't want the car, that's fine. But technically, they can keep your deposit. Yes. In the state of Massachusetts, you have three business days. That is wrong. What are you talking about? It's, it's in wrong. everything I've ever read. It's wrong. It's wrong. There is no three-day right of refusal. Um, that comes from an old law with encyclopedia and vacuum cleaner salesmen that would come to your house and sell you a vacuum cleaner, and you would have three days to change your mind. When you go to them, you sign a sales agreement. You signed a sales agreement. Now, some dealerships, Herb Chambers is one. Take the car, buy it. You don't like it, bring it back. It's not. It's not. It's not a law. Now he's googling, but it's not a law. He's still googling. It's okay. Hey, do you ever wonder which cars depreciate the most? Well, this is from our friends at IC Cars. Uh, Julie says to me, hey, I hope you had a nice weekend. The latest from IC Cars. I thought you'd be interested because you can help consumers find the best deals. 
A new car can lose more than half its value in the first three years of ownership. While this frustrates new car owners, it creates an opportunity for used car buyers to get significant savings on an almost new car. Um, so here's the ranking. You want, you want the car that loses the most? Go buy a BMW 5 Series. The average three-year-old price is $30,000. It depreciated 52% in three years. Volkswagen Passat depreciated 50%. Mercedes E-Class, starting to see, with the exception of the Volkswagen, uh, 49%. Ford Taurus, 49%. Probably didn't help that Ford says we're not going to make them anymore. Cadillac SRX, 47%. Audi A3, which is a nice little car. Volkswagen, I mean, the Volkswagens are nice cars. Chrysler 200, maybe not such a nice car. But these cars depreciated just about one and a half times faster than... Um, than most other cars. Uh, the average three-year depreciation on most cars is around 35%. So I think in today's Boston Globe, I talked about buying a certified pre-owned car as a good value for some of those reasons. And um, a certified pre-owned car, because you've you've sort of lost part of the depreciation. You've, you, as the buyer, have been able to take advantage of it. I meant to read the story for the for the Memorial Day weekend because people were barbecuing, but this just seemed funny to me. With the arrival of summer brings uh, vacation driving season, grilling, and cookouts. It also brings concerns about summer air quality and ozone. Uh, this summer, some new information challenges conventional thinking about how different activities contribute to pollution. According to a study by researchers at the University of California, Riverdale, charbroiling a one-third pound hamburger on an open flame generates more particulate matter emissions than driving 143 miles in a new generation heavy-duty diesel commercial truck. It's unusual to compare emissions to backyard burger cookouts to the operation of Big Rig, but the inf it's instructive to understand the contributions of different emission sources to our air quality, said Alan Schaefer, executive director of the Diesel Technology Forum. Uh, we've had him on the show once. The comparison illustrates our newest generation of diesel technology vehicles can achieve near zero emissions. The diesel engines of today nearly eliminate particulate matter emissions, about 95% from older generation technology. They also cut nitrogen oxides or oxides of nitrogen, depending on how you like to say it, by up to 90% lower hydrocarbons, carbon dioxide emissions by 15 to 90%. Thanks in part to the growing penetration, latest generation of diesel vehicles, air quality indicators, and low sulfur fuel, by the way, um, emissions are lower. So cook a burger, drive 153 miles in a diesel, same amount of, same amount of emissions. Which is better, cooking a burger? It's tastier. Yeah, but I mean, depends on what you need. If you need to go somewhere, well, if, well, if the truck had burgers in it, there we go. And you're right. I, there, there's certain certain state laws could. There are certain states that have a three day thing. Yeah. Um, but a, a good dealership should just good dealership. A good dealership should just say, "Hey, look, you don't want to buy the car? Fine. Somebody else will buy it." Um, that's what a good dealership should do. That's how they get their good reputation. That's how I, it happens. I almost I put down a five hundred dollar deposit on a car once at a dealership up in the North Shore somewhere. I can't remember. It was a Mazda dealership, and um, I decided I didn't want to buy the car. 
the sales guy was mad and he didn't want to give me the refund and I just went to the hmm. GM and yeah. he's like, No, yeah, you can have your money back. It'll yeah. be in your it'll be in your account in two days. Yeah. Two days later yeah. I got my money. Which is why I recommend to most people, anybody who'll listen, if you are gonna put a deposit down, do it with a credit card. Yep. That way, at least, you can say, hey, look, I didn't buy the car. It wasn't what I expected it to be. Whatever. I didn't like the deal at the last minute. You can dispute it with your credit card. And, you know, at least you get a, you get a little bit more leverage at that point. So I tried to put a whole car on a credit card once. They wouldn't let me. <laughs> when we come back, flying cars available by 2022? Long, long Woohoo! We'll see. My name's John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. If you have a question about your car, 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. We'll be right back. That I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while. Digging on the radio. Just as I crossed the Mississippi line, I heard that highway start to whine, and I knew that left rear no, it's tire time. was about time to go. Now it's time I'm on that side of the country. Well, the spare yeah. was flat. And you want to come over here and do this side? That's fine. Yeah. So, what do you need me for? To answer the phone. Oh, gee. Yeah. I'd mean, be reduced to a phone jockey? Tell, tell me what to do. <laughs> you know, things like that. You know. You know. Do whatever, whatever it is you do, just less of it. <laughs> so, according to a recent report from Frost and Sullivan, flying cars are set to disrupt the mobility space with at least 10, 10 early entrants expected to launch various versions of flying cars by 2022. With helicopters and other adaptable aviation playing a vital role in supporting new law enforcement throughout the U.S., airborne technology is becoming an important accessory tool for more police and fire departments. Have you, have you noticed now um, when there's a fire somewhere, the fire department has the drones? Yep. Yeah. They help them find yep. where the yep. fire is coming yeah, exactly. from. exactly. So next thing, flying cars. Um but it's uh, not just drones and helicopters. Flying cars now offer an innovative accompaniment to traditional airborne policing, uh, with many citing their cost effectiveness and adaptability to responding to emergency situations, no matter the terrain. Um, we had Stuart Hamill on from Skyrunner, uh, which is kind of a ATV parachute that thing kind is of insane. thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're, they're building for law enforcement, and they're calling it a flying car. So... Um, Flying cars take uh, automotive-grade fuel, costs less than aviation fuel, operating costs are less, learning curve is much less. So who knows? Maybe we'll see flying cars it's all over the place. Reality soon. Yeah, you know, you're a young guy. They could still be around. I'm not that young. Well, young enough. 2022. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you'll still be around in 2022. I hope so. <laughs> to be like. Retired, not doing anything by then. Maybe this. Maybe I'll do this by then. Um, if you own a Kia from 2010 to 2013, you are going to get a recall notice in the mail. A faulty control unit that could prevent the airbags from deploying in the event of a wreck has prompted Kia to recall about a half a million cars. Kia said the government... Uh, 
uh, filing that the airbag control unit, which tells the airbag and the seatbelt pretensors when to activate, could be susceptible to electrical overstress. That's not I don't good. even know what that means. <laughs> In the event good. of a frontal collision, if the control unit is damaged internally, it will not uh, relay the severity of the crash to the airbag, so I won't say how bad it is. Um, the recall covers a wide variety of Kia vehicles, including 2010 to 2013 Kia Fortes, uh, Forte Coupe, the 2011 and 2013 Kia Optima Sedan, 2011 and 2012 Kia Optima Hybrid, and 2011, uh, 2011 to 2012 Kia Sedona minivan. And um, the vehicles were built through August 2012. And again, the recall stems uh, from a lawsuit in 2014 when a Kia Forte sedan was involved in a wreck and the airbag didn't deploy. The Forte Coupe, the two-door version of the Forte sedan, was involved in a similar wreck. The airbag didn't deploy. NHTSA did some investigation, and now they're recalling about a half a million cars. Interestingly, Hyundai, which you would think would use exactly the same products, not involved in this particular recall. But speaking of Hyundai, Hyundai and its South Korean sibling, this is back about a year ago, are recalling 1.12 million cars and crossovers from 2011 to 2014 because in those cases, the engines may have the increased likelihood of stalling. It's not just stalling. The engine suffers from two problems, both of which uh, stem from flawed manufacturing process. Um, Kia vehicles affected in the recall that the engine crankshafts were machined improperly. Their oil passages may not have been completely cleared of metallic debris. Complicating matters is the engine uh, crank pins were manufactured with uneven surfaces. What they mean by stalling is the engine blows up. Oh, that, that, that's, yeah. not, that's not good. The good. It says here, the good news is that failure of connecting rod balance, bear, bearings is really sudden. Yeah, because it makes a ton of noise before it breaks. So, But anyway... Uh, but if you own one of these cars, there's about a half a million Hyundais and a half a million Kias. 2013 to 14 Hyundai Sonata, 13 to 14 Hyundai Santa Fe, uh, Sport, 11 to 14 Kia Optima, 12 to 14 Kia Sorento, 11 to 13 Kia Sportage. Um, check with your Kia dealer to see if it, w if it was involved in the recall, or you can call Hyundai at 855-671-3059, 855-671-3059. And ask about the recall. If you own a Kia, 800-333-4542. Ask about the recall. You can also check the National Highway Traffic Safety website, which is phenomenal because you can put in your vehicle identification number and it'll tell you whether there is recall specific to your car. So not just a group, but specific to your car and whether it was done or not. So it'll tell whether it's complete or not. Let's talk to Bob. Bob. Well, uh, John, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, good. Hey, John, this is a little off-topic, but I was doing a brake job uh, last weekend on a Ford, uh, rear brakes, and, uh, of course, the caliper has the notches that takes the special Ford tool. Right. And uh, my question is, John, I'm turning that the caliper piston in, you know, to retract yep. it. Yeah. What? pushes the caliper piston back out oh it's still just hydraulic pressure it's just that when you t if you took that apart you would actually see it, it it looks fairly simple when you see it because uh-huh because what so what happens yeah what happens is it's um it's a it's a relatively simple arrangement but the the when you 
pull up on the emergency brake, it moves that little arm, and it just cranks the piston out just just enough for the for the parking brake, you know, to work as a parking brake. So, um, okay, yeah, yeah. So there's not much there's not much to it, and it's just regular hydraulic pressure that moves the entire assembly out. Uh, I see. Okay, yeah. so. Yeah. So that there are two separate things going on. Yeah. One's for the one's for the e brake, but right. one's for that it's going to act normal under braking. Yeah, under condition. normal under normal braking, right, right. Yeah. And okay. Did you did you go out and rent the tool, or did you what most people no, do? No, no. Of this? course, I used the needle nose, which yeah. worked. Yeah, uh, you yeah, know, yeah it works fine. Great. That's yeah. Yeah. Everybody does fine. that. Yeah, it works fine. And, and uh, hey, one other quick question, John, if I could. Sure. Uh, uh, break time. I'm sitting in my car having my lunch, and it's getting hot. I'm going to run the AC while I'm eating. Of course, that's going to hurt the cat. No, no, not if it, not if it's, um, not if it's, you know, if the car's running normally, that's fine. It's it's fine. I like just let it idle for yeah, 20 I mean, minutes. Yeah, I mean, you see, you see, police cars running for hours. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. If for some reason you were, um, you know, if it wasn't running well. Um, okay. You know, if if it had a problem with like an evap thing, or you had a check engine light on, or something like that, yeah, that would yeah. be a, that would be a reason that you would want to not run it for extensive periods of time because you'd end up loading up the cat with you know raw gas or something. But if you're okay. just sitting there like right. at idle, it, you you know, unless you unless you take like an eight hour lunch. Uh, I wish I could, Jeff, yeah. but uh, yeah. no, <laughs> no, if you're, no. If you're if you're sitting if you're sitting in if you're sitting in your uh, car and having a sandwich for a half an hour and you want to turn yeah. the AC on and you know listen to you know something on the radio, go ahead and do it. Yeah, yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, I heard you, you know a while back that it was a problem, but I'm glad to hear that. No, no, it's all good. Okay, thanks for okay. your time. All right, sure thing. All right, have a good weekend. You too. Take bye-bye. care. Bye bye. Hey, look, it's Paul Sullivan right there, right there in the flesh. I wasn't uh, prepared to go on for. It. Couple minutes, I think you're a little bit early. I know, I know, but yeah, yeah, I know what that I, means. There's only one thing that means: you're out of ideas. No, I still have, I still have five pages of ideas. <laughs> I have Hi, plenty, I, have, I have plenty of ideas. I can talk, I can talk about how they're, uh, how um, they're, there's going to be a new Hummer H1 coming out. Okay, and it says, and the headline is aims for perfection or zombie apocalypse. I can't tell you when I saw when the last Hummer I saw on the road was. I, they, I don't see them any. I, I mean, I used to. I can I can tell you about the saga of the Sunny and Cher Mustangs. Okay. I have I have plenty of stuff. I have plenty, but I haven't seen you in a week. I was just checking. no man, more than that because I wasn't here last week, but you weren't here the week before that. You were on on remote, uh, you know, undisclosed undisclosed bunker, location. You know, bunker I, and somewhere. I was, I I was telling Dennis I might be undisclosed a lot more often. It took me an hour to leave Quincy last week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's funny because Claire was driving me today, and uh, the last time we came in, we couldn't we couldn't get here, and so we left a little bit earlier today. And I've been here since about seven thirty. So, you know. Yeah, you can't you can't plan on that. No, you, you and, and there was a. And it's Saturday. It's yeah, there was a there was a five k. They had the yeah. road in front of Wollaston Beach all shut down. Mm-hmm. They they took all that normal traffic and ran it up all those side streets that aren't designed for any traffic. And right. Yeah. So it just so I was like, and then by the time I finally got to the Cape, which is where I was going to go, one of my neighbors said to me, "You have like a fifteen hour weekend. What's wrong with you?" Yeah. You can do your show from down here. Why don't you come down on Friday night, set it all up, and yeah. do it from here? I, I, uh, I second that emotion. I think that's a. I, I miss you, but you know we can talk on the phone. Yeah, Den- you can Dennis, send me a we can FaceTime. Yeah, Dennis. That. Dennis said he'd miss me too. I told him I put a little picture of myself up so he could just <laughs> look at me. 
Yeah. I was yeah, I was, like the one you have, you know, if you're um listening like far away yeah. and you have this little icon yeah. of the picture yeah. that was taken back at the old studio, what, yeah. fifteen, yeah. twenty years yeah, ago? Yeah, exactly. That yeah. one I look better. Look good. No, I it's funny it's funny. I was at a uh, uh, a guy who's probably has the most radio stations of almost any morning show that no one knows who he is. Oh, I know um, who that is. Um uh, uh, the guy in Dallas, what's his name? Um Nope, not that guy. Guy from Framingham. Doug Stefan. Yeah. Yeah. He's on like 500 radio stations. Nobody knows who he is. No. But, but he's, he's good. On, he's got a nice he's, voice. Yeah, he's got a good yeah. voice. He's uh, probably 70 now. Does he make any money? I th- judging by the way he lives, I would say yes. Okay, good. <laughs> so maybe we should do that. Maybe we should have shows nobody <laughs> he, heard of. He, he has he has he has a he has a his farm in Framingham. He's got a house in California and a place in London. Yeah, but probably you know he made a he might have made his money the old-fashioned way. He uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. He's only yeah. done radio. And to make this story even longer, um, <laughs> I went to his house to buy a piece of radio equipment. I wanted to buy so do, remote equipment. Do you equipment. know him? Or did, would, no, is this I, just I, an I, online? I kind of knew him, but okay. I didn't know. So I went to his house, and he wasn't there. His guy was there. Uh-huh. And the house is old farmhouse style, but modern. Okay, and it's in Framingham. He, yeah, in Framingham. Okay. He's, he, he has cattle. And okay. framing him. Good. Really strange. Yeah. But, and he's a vegetarian, which is even weirder. That is um, kind of. Yeah. How so, do you know so much oh about him? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I kind of I know. You, John doesn't don't. know anybody, but yeah. he kind of knows yeah. everybody. Yeah. You stalk but, him. Well, I, yeah. Well, I was there and bought this piece of radio equipment um, and kind of looking around, mm-hmm. there was a there was a letter sitting on his table and of course his guy's looking for the power supply and what am i doing i'm reading his mail and it says uh dear mr stefan as a regular flyer on the concord i mean the concord hasn't yeah. flown in a decade or more uh, it's probably that more long than that. ago it's yeah. probably that long ago Oh, okay. That's before I came here, so it was probably it was probably fifteen years ago. Yeah, but as a regular flyer on the Concord. Okay. Again, so I he think hasn't he's read doing his pretty mail good. in like twenty I years. I, I think <laughs> he's doing, but I think it was. No, I think he was doing pretty good. <laughs> and he's, you know, said we're. Canceled. I don't think I don't think he's alive, John. I have news for you. No, he still is. He's still, right, he does. He does a. Uh, he does a farmer show now or something. He's uh, he's, he's on in the morning, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So and apparently makes a lot of money. So that's all, right. all I know. Well, we have to. Uh, Find out more about him so he can copy and emulate his model. Right? Okay. Keep going. Yeah. yeah okay. Okay, Howard Stern. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we got to go. No, see, we don't. See, it's only, no, we still. No, we got three more minutes. Oh, do we? What else do you have Two over minute, there? A minute and 53 seconds. Oh, maybe my, maybe my clock's on central time. I don't know. Hey, there what was, else you got? Uh, there was uh, a um, couple things going on in Rhode Island. Uh, one of them was there are some four license plate bills that were filed this year, this week, uh, the courtesy year manufacturer plates, which doesn't make sense because they already they already have one, so I don't know why they filed more. I swear that legislators forget what they passed three years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it says under current law, antique plates are available for vehicles that are at least 25 years old. Uh, vehicles currently registered as antique may purchase or display a year of manufacture replica plate. That's what they passed already. Right. So I don't well, understand. To get back to your point, you know, they call them lawmakers, and I think that there's this intrinsic motivation to make more laws. I don't think we need more laws. I think we need law unmakers or unlawyers so that we can take some of the laws off the books, consolidate them, maybe make them more current or so. We don't need more laws, do we? So pass one. Pass one, get rid of five? Yeah. That's how I clean my house. 
bring really? something in to take out four things. Really? I do. I'm trying to do that with uh, ties. Yeah. Yeah. That's called that, decluttering. Yeah, I don't I don't wear ties anymore. See, well, now the piano player. Yeah, there you go. See. All right. So now you, you have to count on that as a timekeeper. Yeah. 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 So, there we go. I, I know you want to leave because it's going to be a great weekend on Cape. Eventually. Yeah. Eventually I want to leave, yeah. Hey, you have to get there first. So go, hey, go, go, bye, fly, Fleons, fly. <laughs> that, music, that music means it's time for me to go. It's time for Paul Sullivan and the very best of Irish music coming up next right here on AM 950 WROL, The Spirit of Boston. Till next week, wear your seatbelt, drive safely, and be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>